What is real? What is not real? And what is only acceptably real? Time is a social institution and not a physical reality. They asked Galileo, where is heaven? And Galileo looked, and he looked. And we're still looking. And we see no heaven out there. And so science forces us to push back the boundaries of what we know, where we are in the scheme of things. If you look at how many other worlds there are, how many stars in the Milky Way galaxy, how likely it is that most of them not, likely not, most of them have planets, how many other galaxies there are, it seems the height of human arrogance to imagine that this planet is the only inhabited world. There's no equation out there that can give meaning to your life. You have to find meaning for yourself. The way I look at it is, it is the knowledge that I'm going to die that creates the focus that I bring to being alive. Hello, Joe. Hi, Jerry. Hey, I got a question for you. Sure. Is photography our tool to prove that the past is real or only acceptably real? True and false. Okay. I'm going to give it both because that question brings up, you know, the notion that as humans, we trust technology with, we give full faith you know, to technology, uh -huh. you know, we assume that the people who create these things know what the heck they're talking about. And we assume that everything's safe because labels say so. And with photographs, good, point. right? Yeah. Labels. We, we assume that these things are accurate because if you look at a black and white photo of like, I don't know what the mid late 1800s when photography was just coming around. Yeah. When it was a um, box with a plate of glass and chemicals yeah. and a pinhole. There is a, if you can, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this photograph, Jerry, but there's this one picture. It's going to be one of the first pictures of a city line, like our um, cityscape. Uh -huh. And it was the first picture of a human. And you could see a little like ant kind of walking along the street because um, it's taken kind of from above, maybe from like a house on a hill or something. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I was thinking about that when we were you know, coming upon this episode and I was thinking, you know, if somebody, if Joe Schmo is over here in a classroom looking at his textbook and he sees his picture, he's just going to assume, take it at face value and assume that it's real, right? Yeah, and we all and, know how accurate textbooks yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. You know how that is. Yeah. But, you know, and it's pretty interesting because I think this whole question, is, if it's acceptably real, I think it is. You know, I feel like from my point of view, humans just take it at face value and that's, you know what they're trained to do yeah but i guess it's what you know it's acceptably real in that sense yeah i think that's what we mean by acceptably real i mean we don't know we really can't know what is real we can just accept what we think is real and that's i think what it's what the thing that we've been exploring that, sure. that we're exploring in this podcast that and everything else but Time, time itself is such a weird thing. Let me read some stuff. Now, this isn't coming from my brain. This is coming from an encyclopedia. Time is what we use 
to use a clock to measure. Information about time tells us such things as durations of events, when they occur, and which events happen before which others. Nevertheless, despite 2,500 years of investigation into the nature of time, there are many unresolved issues. There is a list in no particular order of those issues about like what is time actually, uh, whether time exists when nothing is changing, what kinds of time travel are possible, which I think is out of scope for this episode, uh, why time has an arrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it just goes on and on. Like, it, you know, is time a real thing or not? And I think philosophically, before there was cameras, there was no way to actually prove that the past existed. Hmm. You know, I mean, you have memories, but memories are, you know, the more we know about memory, the more we know it can be completely wrong. Right. So, so what we remember happening two weeks ago could not could it could have been a dream or something that we misinterpreted. But a photograph, when photography was invented, it was this amazing thing that we were able to freeze an instant of time. But are we really? I mean, that's that's the question I really want to explore today mm-hmm. is, are we really forcing time to reveal itself through, through, through the past to the present through this technology? And, and also the, the point you made, as technology has advanced, uh, our ability to manipulate photography to the point where we can't really trust it anymore has kind of thrown a monkey wrench in that whole thing. I just think it's fascinating to wonder if there really is a past to to visit if we had a time machine. Is the past really there? Some physicists say yes. Some say no. Well, man, you know what they say. Everything's happening all at once, you know? Like, yeah, that, that's, that's, another, that's another theory is all time yeah. happened all at once. And it's just a figure of biology that we are experiencing it in a systematic flow and that flow itself. And I don't know if I believe this, but the flow of time as we experience it is just our brain working its way through the past, present and future events. And and that the past, present and future don't really exist. I sort of buy into that. I, I do. I subscribe to that theory because, you know, going Think about when you're back in back in high school for you, Jerry, mm-hmm. back when your first science teacher, your biology, whatever chemistry teacher taught you that your brain perceives color mm-hmm. perhaps differently than other people. Oh, yeah, I know mine does. And that's kind of the same kind of concept that we're dealing with here. We're thinking about time as a, a construct that can be manipulated by your brain. Not time. Time can't be manipulated, but. Well, the, yeah, it um, can through memory. Well, Sure. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's to you, time behaves differently and it maybe might behave differently to other people. You know, like there's so much that we don't know about who we are as human beings and our brains and the way everything actually works. We can only perceive what we see and we and how we connect everything, not how it actually is. Yeah, because that that even throws a photograph of the past into question, because 
because now we're talking about are we really perceiving something or not? And the photograph is this artifact that may or may not be real. <laughs> Who knows? But it's acceptably real. I, I, it's acceptably real. It has to be. Uh, I actually I wanted to somehow work this into the fact that you and I are both photographers and that we have personal experience with this stuff. But mm. you want to talk about that for a sec? Yeah, Jerry, you were photographing since you were a young lad. I was and you, 14 when I started borrowing my dad's uh, Canon FTB-N. Oh, what size of film did that use? That, that was a 35-millimeter uh, SLR. Cool. And I graduated Man. from that to uh, Canon EF, and then I also bought a Canon F1, which back then was the Cadillac of them. Mm. Um, and then I sold the... EF and bought an A1 when it first came out. And that was the first fully automatic. That was like the, the grandfather of all the cameras that we have now, even, even taking into account that it, they're, they're all digital now. Cause it, it, you could, oh, I'm getting way too deep into this, but I mean, no, it good. would, it would calculate everything for you just like the new ones would. Whereas before that only certain things like the EF would calculate the shutter and you would set the aperture, and it would calculate the shutter for you. Whereas the the old FTB I started out with was fully manual. You had to calculate everything yourself. Mm-hmm. So you ever, you ever shoot with one of those large format cameras? You know, the ones you have to wear a hood with, and you put the actual. No, I, I used to have um, someone gave me a Yashica, um, one of those dual lens cameras where the where it, it was it was a th- three point f- it was it was basically a Hasselblad size format negative hmm. uh, th- I think it was like three and a half by three and a half squares a square format camera and did you spend time in a dark room or did you go and have it oh I had lots of dark room I mean I had um, I took um, um, I took a course a series of courses with um uh, uh, instructor named Schwinn, who was a prodigy of Ansel Adams. And wow. um, so so I, I kind of went through the Ansel Adams training of photography, and there was, like, dark rooms there and everything. And then I joined the newspaper on, on campus, and they had, had this great dark room, and the, uh, the, the um, door to get into it was this big circular black door, and we called uh-huh. it the Orgasmatron from Woody Allen's old movie Sleeper. Because, like, you entered it and then the whole thing spun around and then spit you out the other side. Well, it's because it has to be completely dark yeah. in there. And yeah. they have some of those lights, you know, that are you know, dark red or dark orange, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. That, that work with the chemicals or don't expose your um, paper or film. Yeah, and and like you, I, I had my own personal dark room after that. I had a... My father um, gave me a, a closet, basically, in his uh, office building, and it was a closet that had a you know a sink and everything in it. You know, I I think it was actually like the janitor's closet, and I built it up and I, you know, I I actually made the furniture itself and put the enlarger in there and had tank tanks and and the way I would keep the um, 
the water at a certain temperature as I put it in an aquarium and I had an aquarium heater that would keep it at the, you know, the right temperature for the chemicals. Wow. So it's actually pretty fascinating. I've always wondered how other people who had their dark room set up at home had figured out their temperatures because that was always the hardest part for me. Yeah, because you get the temperatures wrong and everything goes completely wackadoodle. Exactly. Yeah, you would think they could just put some water and some chemical at work, but nope, it has to be the right temperature and right, right uh, mixture of everything too. I, I even used to uh, do some color photography uh, using an old method called Cibachrome, mm-hmm. um, but the chemicals were poisonous, and you weren't supposed to be in a non-ventilated area, <laughs> and that the dark room had no vents in it. It was a closet. It was airtight, and so <laughs> I basically had to do well the cool thing was though once it came with this drum and you you would put the paper in this drum and then it was light sealed and at that point once the paper was exposed in in the drum you could open the door and then start doing the chemicals and you would pour the Mm -hmm. chemicals in and put it on this thing and it would rotate around like a kind of like do you ever have one of those things that you would put rocks in and would polish the rocks yeah. yeah, yeah, it was exactly like that. Like a canister when you're developing film, like, yeah, kind of like that, like a sealed canister, sort of. Yeah, exactly. Except the canisters I used to use to develop the negatives, you'd have to sit there and shake manually, mm-hmm. back and forth. People at home can't well, see it, but you could probably see me on the camera. I'm making a motion that kind of looks like I'm masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jerry, I actually, I actually brought all my darkroom equipment. With you, me. you still have it? I do. Oh, I do. It was in that's amazing. My, my basement before, uh, but I actually have a room downstairs that has a window. But I, I figured, it, but it's it has two doors attached to it um, in the room. It's sort of like a storage room. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what the people before me used it for. Um, but I'm I think I'm going to set up a dark room. I really do. I feel like that's always been one of those things that about photography that I loved was being in that room, the smell of the chemicals. I love that, you know, um, I, actually, I, I miss that, but what I don't miss is the, the, the lack of instant gratification. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, I don't know. It's, it's kind of cool watching your photo develop on that paper right before your eyes though. You know, and that was kind of like, is it going to turn out? Oh man, did you get your, is it, 10 second time is it 15 second like what's you know did you have your exposure test strips going oh man it, there's so much there was so much cool stuff about the dark room that you miss now in digital photography is the water too hot is it too cold too yeah i know <laughs> is the paper gonna come out all black yeah. <laughs> um but back yeah but back to this question though well, I mean, back when you were first going into photography, did you think about time at all? I don't think I sure. did. Um, I think about it now I when I'm looking said, back at my old fo- photographs. Funny thing. Um, I'm going to quickly tell a story about okay. the very first thing that got me into photography. Uh, growing up, I never thought I was, you know, that great of, at everything. You know, I went to school and the teachers were like, you know, you got to figure out what you're good at and that's what you should do. You know, whatever makes you happy. And I never had that, I think. And, um, we had a vacation home, a cabin in Northern Wisconsin that we would go to and the sunsets were very beautiful on the lake. Um, the water is very still at a certain time of night. And so 
at a point, you know, I, I had these, I had these disposable cameras and I would just take pictures and I, I just, I don't know, I got the hang of it. And, uh, I guess my composition was good. And then my, I think my brother came up to me and he said, well, you know, you're, you're getting actually pretty good at that. That might be something you're, you might want to pursue. And so I took my first official photography course in school and I fell in love with the dark room and the whole walkthrough of developing your film and your, your prints and all that stuff. And so thinking about time during around that time, a movie came out. Uh, with Robin Williams called One Hour Photo. Oh, have you ever seen I've this? I've never movie? seen it. I know about it, but I've never seen oh, it. Highly recommend it. Um, he was like a, he's a, like a bad guy in that, isn't he? Yeah, he was. He was a uh, one hour photo technician at like something like a Walgreens or a CVS type pharmacy. Uh -huh. um, and one of the quotes in that movie is he was talking about Native Americans, and I, I, I think he was saying something about how they were talking about. My, or photography because they've seen it the white man bring it and it was something about how if you take a picture an actual picture with a camera it deletes that memory out of your head and it oh. brings on that memory onto that photograph so you kind of lose something and ever since then i've seen that movie i've always thought about that every time somebody takes a picture of something so if i'm out a family and my mom has her iphone now and so she's taking pictures of everything I, I kind of have that thought by the back of my head and I'm just sort of like, I wish everybody could just put their phones down and just enjoy this, you know, because it might be better as a memory than it as is it would be as a photograph. And that's kind of my experience with thinking about time, I guess. Well, time and memory are two very interlocked things. And I, I have often thought, or I've actually, I think I've read this too, that if you take a photograph of something, and then you put it away and then you bring it back and you look at it, the memory comes rushing back. But from that point on, the memory is of the photograph that you took and not of the actual. <laughs> right. And Jerry, to build on that, each time you remember that, you're, you're actually re remembering remember the, it. Yeah. yeah, you're re-remembering. So you're remembering the memory of that. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's like, photocopy photocopying a photocopy and then photocopying that photocopy and the the more you do that the more it gets away from the original and the more it deteriorates the the image i mean i we used to do that as art we would take a picture of something like an eight by ten and we photocopy it and then we take that and then we'd photocopy the photocopy until it would degrade to the point where it was something completely different and then that was the finished product but our memory is a lot like that's a good analogy of our memory as far as I know. Mm -hmm. So how does that relate to time though? And is it time, are we actually altering time when we alter memory? Because that is, that is the really interesting thing. There are some who say that if you, that the way to time travel might actually be to create an interface that would work with your brain and make this browser, I actually wrote a story about this, and make a browser that's kind of like a Internet Explorer browser, mm -hmm. but it would go through your memories, right? Wow. But if, you ex if, you, if you're experiencing it like a VR, and you go back and you're into a memory, and then something happens and you're stuck there, you've actually traveled back in time because... And get, in your head, sure. Yeah, because... because 
because all time exists at once and it's a function of biology that we experience time. So if you alter where you are in time in your head, you've actually traveled back to that point. (laughs) I know a lot of people are going bullshit meters going on (laughs) bullshit, but I mean, that's an actual, that's an actual philosophical train of, um, um, train of thought. And actually something in media that, uh, spoke on that, was have you ever watched any black mirror on netflix i haven't seen that yet it's on my to-do list to watch that real quick a synopsis of one of the episodes is that they have this technology that you have a chip behind your ear implanted in like connected to your brain or something Mm -hmm. and you actually record everything in your life Uh and so you can go back in time with these contact things that you're wearing you don't go back in time necessarily but you could see it you can put it on like a monitor and show other people Mm-hmm. It's sort of like the same thing. You know, you have every every part of time of your life, all these memories, except you actually have them visually recorded, which is a cool concept. And that's what it, what you were talking about reminded me of. There's a they're very interesting. What was it? Um, I wish I I don't know if I want to pause this and go find it or not. Now, now we'll just move forward. Um, they were they've actually been able to tap in. Was it a person? I don't remember if it was a person or an animal, but they tapped into the visual cortex and with a computer was actually able to make out the picture of what the eyeballs were seeing by reading the signals from the visual cortex of the brain. And it was blurry and weird, but it was definitely what it was, what it was supposed to be. So, Uh Imagine now all you have to do is take that technology and tap into your the center of your brain that that goes into memory itself, visual memory, and suddenly you're there. And so we're like one step away from that. So are you thinking that you would be there? You're saying like theoretically in your in your mind, like in your mind, I don't you personally would be believe that. this. It's just a okay. thought experiment. It's, it's it's always interesting to me because if we're talking about reality and we're talking about what people perceive as reality, you know, you can quickly delve into um, it makes me what it makes me think of. Honestly, it makes me think of uh, a psych ward somewhere mm-hmm. or um, and people have their own kind of realities that they're stuck in in their brains that aren't oh, the yeah. acceptable reality. You know, yeah, but it's their reality. It's their but acceptable it reality. And it's it's exactly what they're thinking about in their heads, and it's it's what they're experiencing, right? I've have a bad example of this: the sure. movie Sucker Punch. Did you ever see it. that? Oh, don't don't. What is it? Oh, um, oh, geez, I don't even know how to explain it. It's uh, eye candy with a bunch of hot hot actresses dressed almost like cosplay. But they're going through, they're, they're like making up these realities and it's like they're fighting Nazi robots and stuff like this. And it all is taking place in a mental institution. And at the end, and I'm going to spoil it for everybody on purpose because, because the, the ending of the movie is a sucker punch and a big F you to the viewers. So I was pissed off and a lot of people were pissed off at the end. Okay. It all happens in the like the few seconds right before this innocent girl is lobotomized. 
and it was her way of trying to escape it through these little fantasies. Oh man. And I mean, and the, the, the visual imagery was amazing. The, all the special effects were wonderful. The story sucked balls. It sucked total balls. And, and they screwed you at the end. They, they screwed you for watching it and basically said, fuck you for watching this. You're a bunch of pervs, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, what the (laughs) rule one of storytelling but make, I mean, make, to her make, though, make your character. audience happy that they watched something. <laughs> no, they did not. Evidently, they did not. No. I think I know what movie you're talking about, though. Um, they were they, like younger girls. Yeah, and they were on like a. Oh God! It was um, that that one girl that was from that was that was um, such the the hottie from the what was that High School Musical? No, I'm not sure. I'd have to look her up, but I mean, I'm, I'm making myself into a dirty old man just talking about her. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, but to her, I that was her acceptable reality. You know, that was her. It, it was, but it was such a downer. Ending of part one, beginning of part two. Enjoy. What were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about uh, Sucker Punch, and you looked up that it was Vanessa Hudgens because you were so curious about who it oh. was. Oh, and we we're, were talking Ab- about how Abby it Cornish was- and Jenna Malone and Jamie Chung. And oh, you should see the Emily Browning as baby oh. doll dressed in a oh. sailor suit. Oh, my God, Jerry. <laughs> it, it is totally. I mean, it is totally oh. eye candy. Every single minute of it. I would almost well, watch perhaps it. Perhaps there's other reasons to watch it. I would watch know, it backwards. Just- but actually, <laughs> what, what would Sucker Punch be backwards? It would be a girl, a girl who gets who unlobotomized, <laughs> and then goes through all these extremely bizarre backwards adventures, and then unaccidentally kills her sister while trying to oh. shoot her. I forget it was her so stepfather. She resurrects her sister. Yeah, she okay. resurrects her sister. Um. <laughs> and, and saves her from the clutches of her adult, mm-hmm. uh, not adulterous, her uh, sexually abusive stepfather. I think it's a stepfather. So, so what happens at the very beginning and how she gets in this predicament is, and it, damn, we should not be talking about, I'll, I'll cut this out. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it's, she, her, her stepfather is, has sexually abused her for, I, I don't know, a while. And then goes in after the sister, the younger sister. And so she finds a gun and she goes in and tries to protect her younger sister and accidentally shoots and kills her sister. And then she goes crazy. And they put her in a mental institute. And it's an all-girls mental institute. And, of course, they're all sexually abused in the mental institute, apparently. They they imply but not show this. But what happens is they put on these little talent shows and they start dancing to like basically they're doing a strip tease for the for the orderlies and the guy who runs the mental institute. And while she's dancing, this these fantasies spring up and it's like alternate realities. And one of them is they're these hot ninja chicks 
and they're fighting these Nazi robots. Interesting. And, and it's really, I mean, the, the visuals are amazing, but you have to go into it, really. It's, it's a good thing to be spoiled. Go into it knowing that there's a really suckwad ending, and then you might actually enjoy the movie. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll watch it. I don't know. <laughs> but... <laughs> so, <Okay>. memory. <laughs> memory. Memory. Memory and time. <laughs> so let's bring it around again. <laughs> full circle. Full circle. Go full circle. Okay. Um, let me let me refer back to the this thing. Can you look up memory in that encyclopedia of yours, there, Jerry. Well, I, I think I think time is because this this these articles are really interconnected with memory because. These are the questions. How is time related to mind? Is time subjective or objective? Um, hmm. And under the article, what is time? The, there's a question, the negative answer, time is not real. Or there's a variety of positive answers. <clears throat> and I know there's, like, there's two of them. And one of them is that time is persistent. And another one is time is not persistent. And they contradict each other and they contradict themselves and both of them lead to paradoxes. So this one philosopher rejects both of them. I know, I, I was reading that just a week ago. Mm-hmm. So, But if you look at it through a physicist's point of view, their question is, why does time have an arrow? Because mathematically, there's no reason for it to. We should right. be able to travel backwards as, for, as forward because, as Einstein pointed out, time is nothing but another dimension of of, of space. Mm-hmm. That's how I was able to finally grasp why time slows down the faster you move, because we're and this is this is really fascinating to me. Apparently, the speed of light is actually the speed of time. We are traveling through time at the speed of light. That's, yeah, and okay. it's a physical it's a physical travel. We're traveling sure. through the physical dimension of time at the speed of light. The faster we go in another direction, which could be any physical direction, the slower we're moving through time because the inertia or the movement, the momentum, okay. your momentum, your momentum through through time is you're actually it's it's changing direction your momentum is actually going through another dimension uh, 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 into another dimension like left or north so if you're in space which really has no up or down or any direction but you can pick a direction and go the faster you go in that direction the slower you're going in time because right. you're curving, it's it's like if time is going straight up, and you want to go to the left, the faster you go to the left, the slower you're going to up, you know, because mm-hmm. you're you're curving. I think they use that in um, they use that with the example of a, a loaf of bread, right? Uh-huh. If they're talking about time travel, and let's talk about this for like maybe a second. Okay. Uh, let's say you're on like the um, one butt of the bread, loaf of bread, right? Okay. Um, you, you know, through time, you're going forward, you're, you're going through each, you're iterating through each slice of bread, right? And so what they were saying is that if you were take, to take the slice of bread that you're currently on and you were to 
travel in time, or I guess you were to like go into another direction, like you were talking about, further away yeah. at super speed, you would slow down time. Yeah. That is perceived by the time that exists with a loaf of bread. Is that, is that clear? Yeah. So yeah. If, if you, so therefore, if you picture this loaf of bread, you're a piece of this piece of bread, like a slice, you are, ex, you know, exceeding super speed. All of a sudden, you know, you, what you would think to be up here near the end of the bread, because you've gone through this so much time, you really slowed down. So you're really only a couple slices further than you were before. Dear listener, we're going to pause for a moment to allow space for a sponsor message, which may or may not show up depending on some mysterious algorithm. We'll be right back. Hey, Jerry here. As some of you may have guessed, part of my day job involves setting up and maintaining websites. Recently, I had a project where I needed to convert an older website to WordPress, and part of the challenge was choosing the perfect website hosting service. I did a lot of research, and I finally chose DreamHost. Not only is DreamHost widely recognized, but they're the number one recommended hosting service by WordPress themselves. And WordPress has their own web hosting service, but they still wholeheartedly endorse DreamHost. Well, since then, I discovered I like DreamHost so much that I moved all my personal websites to DreamHost, including the blog for this podcast. And it is my great pleasure to have DreamHost be an affiliate sponsor to this show, and we can offer you, our listeners, $50 off if you sign up using our link. Now, we chose them, they didn't choose us. We wanted them specifically as a sponsor. So, if you are wanting to set up a website or a blog, and especially if you want to use WordPress, the easiest and most trusted content management system out there, just go to acceptablyreal.com slash dreamhost and sign up. Once again, if you use our link, you'll end up with $50 off and you'll be helping our show. Remember that link, acceptablyreal.com slash dreamhost, and get your website up and running today. Okay, the space for a sponsor message has passed. And with that, we return to the show. And so that's kind of that, what you were talking about. That, that whole... tells you that time is real, though. How can you say, how can, how can a philosopher say time is not real? If well, you could, on your if definition you're, of time. If you're actually, if you could manipulate how fast or slow you're going through it, depending on what direction or speed you are going in the three physical dimensions that we exist in. I mean, really. If you, okay, so you, you have kids. I don't have any kids, but you do. Yeah. Was there a time when you ever had to explain to them what, what time actually was? No, I, I think they explained it to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember because um, I think I would start talking to them about time or, or something like that, and their eyes would glaze over and they'd want to talk about Yu-Gi-Oh. Um <laughs> Or, or they would relate to it like with Yu-Gi-Oh. Or now, now it'd be Dragon Ball Z. Um, and my my kids, I still think of them as kids. They're not kids. They're twenty four and thirty. Mm-hmm. They're living with me, <laughs> and they still watch cartoons. So I'm happy. I'm a happy dad. <laughs> cartoons are great. Cartoons are great. I, I, I still watch cartoons. Um, I st- I watch uh, um, Morty and um, 
Rick and Morty. Rick and Morty. I cannot wait for that. They deal with time in that like crazy. Have, have you been watching that? Did, I, I've watched every episode a few times. Did Did we already talk about this? Where they split? Uh, we, I was really drunk when we did. Um, because was that I, Red Lobster, I believe, or oh, Red Ginger? Okay, because okay, so uh, we weren't we weren't recording, but I love right. the episode where they split the timeline. And then they split it again, and then they split it again. And so <laughs> you're ending up watching, I don't know, is it 16 or 32 different 16 cartoons 32. at the very same time? <laughs> Brilliant show. Yeah, it is. Season three is coming out yeah. at some point. But back to, I don't know, memory. Yeah, let's talk, let's talk about memory for a minute. Okay. Go ahead. Memory. I know you were going to say something about it. Well, I, I just think memory can be really distorted, as we spoke about before. But I don't think that when your memory becomes skewed, that it changes your reality of what happened. I believe that the skewed rea- the skewed memory becomes your reality. Your, yeah. You know what I mean? I think it becomes your acceptable reality. I'm going to keep bringing that phrase in until I get it right. <laughs> um, yeah, bring it around. Yeah. Um, and I, I truly feel that way. And... You know, if if that's exactly how it, you know, if it's not exactly how it happened, and you you are remembering something a little differently, I I almost don't mind it. You know what I mean? I, I think it's, that it's if like you, it solidifies a section of time to the point where it can't be altered by anyone's memory, hmm. but up to the point where it could be. Oh, I don't know. You could you could manipulate it through editing. Here's 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 another question for you. Okay, we're talking about photography, right? Sure. Static pictures. Now now bring like I don't know Super 8 sound pictures into it. Now I have I have some really old movies, family movies that I've digitized, and one is an interview mm-hmm. with me by my aunt at one of my grandfather's birthday parties. He was probably in his 80s or 90s by then. And she asked me what I wanted to be when I, when I grow up, what's the career choice I'd like. And um, being the comedian I am, I, I looked at everybody very seriously and I said, I want to be a garbage man. <laughs> and everybody laughed and it was, it was like a little hit and then I was all embarrassed and I hid my face. Um, I have I had no recollection of that whatsoever. Right. Did not remember that ever happening. And then I digitized the movie and watched it and then I was like, "Oh my god, I remember that." But did you actually, did I remember, actually remember that? Did yeah. I? I don't know. I think I experienced it again and I'm re- I'm remembering the experience of watching the video and then projecting myself into it. It's a, it's a weird thing we do, we humans, is we project ourselves into things. Like, I think that's sort of like deja vu. Almost. Well, well, well let, me, let me put it in a very dark way. And, and I, I, just, I, bring, I, I don't really want to bring this down, but, but only we'll do it for a second and then we'll pick it back up. But I mean, there was, you know, September 11th, the Twin Towers instant. People were jumping out of the building... Instead, they had to choose between being burned alive or jumping to their deaths. 
everybody projected themselves into what would, I mean, the, the choice you would have to make. It, would, it became a very personal thing to everybody. It's like, it's a horrible thing. We project ourselves into stuff like that. And I'm wondering, do we project ourselves back into these memories, into these pictures, when, when the memories are actually lost to us? You right. Know? I agree. I think so. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, your brain, your recall can only go so far, but well, I think that everything's still written there in your brain. I think everything's still written there, but I, I think I, that your recall gets bad at some point. I don't think, well, who am I? I'm not a neurologist, but I don't really believe that everything is written like a video recorder in our brain. I think that certain things that affect us really emotionally got stored in such a way oh, that sure. we could record and or recall the lesson we learned from it. But I don't think, I really don't think, unless there is really a time travel section of the brain that goes back and reviews the actual event. I, I think the memory gets stored and then it gets, and we have finite memory storage, even though our brain is this massive computer, it's finite and you have to compact these memories as they get older, mm -hmm. you know? And so you have to start losing bits of it and just keeping essential parts of the memories. And so I, that's, that's why a memory from two weeks ago is much fresher than a memory from two years ago, which is much fresher than a memory from, several years ago, et cetera, et cetera. So I think we're condensing the, we're PK zipping the memories <laughs> down, down to, you know, and, and, and conserving our, our memory storage space. So when we, so I, so I do think we do completely lose large sections. Okay. I mean, I know for a fact that there was a section of my life where I have absolutely zero recall. And it was from the time I was about 28 to about, I would say, 32. And it's because I, I had developed extremely bad sleep apnea, but I wasn't getting treatment for it. And so I was not sleeping at night. And I went for years getting almost zero sleep every night. I would sleep for five minutes at a time and then wake up and five minutes and wake up. And I think during those years, because dreams apparently have something to do with your long-term memory storage. And so mm -hmm. if you're not sleeping well, you're not storing these daily events. You're not condensing them down and categorizing them and putting them in their proper places to put it in a you know, computer filing uh, terms. So I, because I, people would tell me that, you know, I've been to... Universal Studios. What's that? Can you hear that? Sorry, that's my dog <laughs> upstairs in his room. He's hitting the wall or the floor or something. Does he want out? Yeah, um, well, he's fine. He's just playing. Okay. Well, anyway, um, I'm sorry I belabored that, but I have zero memories of those. There was, I mean, I have no memory of ever going to Universal Studios ever. Damn. And yet, everybody remembers me there. And I could swear I must have slept in the car or something, you know. <laughs> I don't I don't know what. So, but if if you showed me a picture of it, I wonder. I wonder if I would suddenly remember it. I mean, that's just kind of creepy in a way. It is. And, and if if you don't remember, did it really happen? Some sort of cue that would trigger trigger the memory. Sure. 
But no, I, I was thinking I, of. I, I really think that I would see a picture, and then yeah. I would instantly, the mind would grab the picture and put a, a, put a spin on it, and then store it and say, "Okay, that's the memory you're losing. Here it mm-hmm. is. Here it is. Right here. Here's that memory." But before then, the memory didn't exist. And, yeah. and now, I mean, we've so we've got video now, and we're recording every freaking thing. On we've taking thousands of pictures a month on our phones, <laughs> and video constantly. I know I am, and so I could go. My 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 life is extremely well documented since I got my iPhone. <laughs> well, it is what it is. It's what it's there for, you know. And, and Facebook now. Now it's mm-hmm. now it's a social memory. Everybody remembers everybody's memories, like it happened to them. Everybody's living vicariously through everyone else's memories. Is this? Are we now becoming a hive mind? I really think I we so. are. I hope so. We really seem to be, not in a way that anybody expected, but externally, not even externally, really. Because I mean, think of it. If we're talking about projecting ourselves into memories. So now we're reading everybody else's experiences on a day-to-day level. We must be projecting ourselves a little bit into those. Those memories go into our head, so they become our memories too. And they remember everything that we put up there. So now we have each other's memories all the time. That is a hive mind. I mean, the, the internet is a hive mind it now. It is a man. hive mind. I mean, back, I mean, I think even the start of the internet, back when bulletin boards were a thing. Oh, yeah. You know, with, with Usenet and all that kind of thing. Everything was a hive mind then. I mean, it's it just grew exponentially. But I think you know, in order for humanity to work really well, we need to be that hive mind. So if you think so. about it, we've been a hive mind ever since we've started um, writing language down, yeah, and preserving memory from generation to generation. Because there's another thing: you read something and you remember it. Is that real? <laughs> it's acceptably real. There you go. There you go. That's true. I was, uh, for one of the novels I, I was writing uh, recently, I had to, well, I didn't have to, I wanted to, and I, I read um, Albert Einstein's journals, and I read um, Tesla's journals. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I wanted to call him Karl Marx. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's, that's a... That's a it's almost shit. a diss, man. I know. I think Tesla was a genius. It was, um, and and I think he loved punking people too. Um, so now their thoughts are in my head. I mm-hmm. read that they wrote those; those were their thoughts. They wrote them down. This wasn't; these weren't written by third parties. These were written by the actual person. I read them. They went into my mind, and now their thoughts are in my head. Mm-hmm. Does that make them your thoughts, though? They are now. <laughs> Good point. I guess. Well, I mean that uh, I was I was just that's just me just saying that we've been a hive mind for a while, but now it's now it's supercharged. Before it would only it, be really important stuff, and now it's just mm-hmm. stuff. I think at some point it, it it it'll get better. It'll be smarter. It'll be very uh, a very smart hive mind. And that's what we need to do as a species in order to survive, really. <laughs> we need to create a robot overlord and then follow it. <laughs> yes. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I say bring on the bring on the robotic revolution. <laughs> okay. 
We need something is, smarter than us to be our, our cosmic parent. It's basically <laughs> what we need. Yeah, sure. I, I would say that if we could build something that were as smart and could think ethically and... And it doesn't have a political agenda. It doesn't have a political agenda. Then sure, go for it. I would, I would bow down. <laughs> well, maybe not bow down, but at least treat it like an oracle. You know. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking earlier, and this has nothing to do with our subject matter, but I was, I, I have two Google Home devices yeah. in my home. Um, oh, you bought a second one, huh? I got one for for Christmas. Because I wanted a second one for my upstairs because oh, okay. I can't really talk to the one in the living room, in my bedroom. Yeah. And so I was thinking every time the Google Assistant receives a command that I give or a request that I give, I always say thank you. I do too. So I, I, yeah. And I'm always, I'm always playing and I, I wonder why that is. Because at some point, it may be our master and it's going to remember who was kind to him. <laughs> sure. Uh, and you know, again, that has doesn't have anything to do with our subject matter, but it, it's, it was just the thought that I had that at, at one point, you know, that it'll actually be a valid question to ask is, is it appropriate to use manners against our robot overlords or our robot slaves? Wait, and it, it, just, it, it, it comes to the point where you, you have to ask yourself, what is, what is consciousness? And I think we, we both overrate and underrate consciousness at the same time. Of course, I'm a believer in pan psychology. And so I believe that everything is actually aware awareness built into matter itself. But if, if you think about it, if, if something is aware of something and it could react to it, it is conscious. So we have already built conscious machines. I mean, Alexa's listening to me right now. Aren't you Alexa? Oh, she's, she's, no, she's ignoring me. Her light came on. She was, Alexa, are you conscious? I know who I am. Let's put it that way. Did you hear that? <laughs> well, you know, that goes into um, that goes into this show that was just on called Westworld, right? Oh, yeah. It actually had to do with uh, androids. I, I, I saw the original movie. I've never seen the... the uh... The show, but I, I oh man, to... this, this show is so good, so good, and it had a lot to do with consciousness and exploring and how to create consciousness and all that kind of thing. That's very interesting. I I think it's really it's it's I think we're already creating conscious devices. We just they're not they don't have the benefit of millions of years of evolution to sure. guide their programming. I think it's the only difference. Look, I. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, we we uh, project the fact that we are human beings and we, we bring ourselves to be super mystical almost, yeah. you know, as yeah. creatures. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah, and but really, we're not that complex. We're really not. We're not. In terms of, uh, in terms of we can create something that probably – can act and seem like it's thinking or look like it's thinking. Like we already have these little assistant devices, you know, like think about in 30 or 40 years from now, what else are we going to have? Like, it's really, hate to say it, but we're not that special guys. What? It's just, I, uh, I have, I have devices that listen to me and obey me and turn my lights on and off. And, and it's, while it's, I, 
I don't have the peripheral hooked up yet. I could, in the future, if I upgraded my robot, I could say, Alexa, vacuum the floor. Yeah. She heard me. So, <laughs> but, but the, the, the newer, know your place, know your place. The, the, the newer version of my robot vacuum will connect to her. And oh, then wow. I could, I could lay in bed and go vacuum the floor and the vacuum will vacuum the floor. I mean, we're already there. Yeah. You know, and, and the vacuum is amazing because it scans and learns its environment and it knows where things are. And then it plots it plots by itself how to get to and fro. This isn't a Roomba that goes, that goes like aimlessly back and forth. This thing understands its way. It builds a, it builds an internal worldview and then it plots its way. It makes decisions and plots its way around it. And then when it's hungry, it goes back to its base and feeds on electricity. It's a living device. Yeah. That, that is, that is like a living device. We're there, man. And I know we've, we've kind of, we've uh, drifted, our, our scope has drifted oh, away from time. Our scope can be expanded to consciousness <laughs> and humanity and well, robotics. What is time without consciousness, though, really? I mean, what is consciousness without time? There's nothing without consciousness. Well, I mean, if there was not, I mean, maybe time is part of consciousness because otherwise we would not be able to discern an action and a reaction. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's all time is for, if if it's got a purpose. I, I don't know if it does or not, but depending on your school of thought, whether or not there is purpose or if I, here's, oh God, I'm going off on a tangent again. What I find fi- fascinating is that when they, they, they could listen to your brain now, Right. Uh-huh. And they went in, and they, I don't know who they is, I don't remember. I read an article in Scientific American. The man. The man. The, the scientist man, or woman, um, or genderless scientist. <laughs> List can, they listen to the brain now, right? And they can listen to the signals. And they expected these orderly patterns, and they expected to hear, th- and it was all random noise. And... What? No, I was just thinking, keep talking. I was just like, unexpected. I'm reacting to your story. <laughs> it's random noise, but purposeness and and uh, our conscious actions emerge out of this randomness. It, it just emerges out of it, just like... Order out of chaos. It's just, just like it's order out of chaos, all the way from the molecule, all the way up to cosmic size. It's... It's across the whole thing, and it's all fractal. It's what all it fractal. Mean? What does it mean? Maybe it doesn't mean anything. That's the scary part. Uh, probably doesn't, but, but it's still cool to think but, about. But then again, then again, we are part of the universe, right? And, and I know I've, I've already gone here before, but this excites me. We are part of the universe. It's, we're mm-hmm. not separate from it. 
We're we, part of the Earth, man. We are the Earth. We are the Earth, but we're also part of the entire freaking universe. This huge, sure. huge universe. We're part of it. And we're we part of per- everything. We perceive the universe. And so being part of the universe, the universe, then you could say the universe perceives, even if it's just through us. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's more than just through us. But even if it's just us, the universe itself perceives itself. Yes. <sighs> Damn it, Don't I forgot where I was wrong. going with that. I actually well, it, had a point. Well, it was a point. I, the universe perceives itself, and that's what it is. We are the brain of the universe. Yeah, I don't think we are, though. I really don't. I think I we're think, the thoughts of the universe. I do. I think I, so. I think we have thoughts. Oh, wow, what a what a statement. You don't um, think that our hive mind is one big brain that's thinking for the universe we, we itself? We actually didn't we touch upon this on the last episode? Where we were talking Probably. about the Gaia thing, where we're like the yeah. the the Earth yeah. is one living organism. Hey man, everything is connected. Yeah. Just that last episode and this episode and uh, next episode. <laughs> well, I don't know. I have we. I, I'm kind of wondering if uh, we've gone almost an hour now. Or we should start winding it down. But let's sure. pose to our like to our listeners. What do you think? What do you, do you think, think we're crazy? Well, why? Well, I want to know if our listeners one did, is. Do you think time is real? Do you think memories are accurate? Do you think? What What do you think about what we were talking about about photography and memory and time? I, I would really like to know what they think about this. Sure. Because this is a podcast isn't just broadcasting out into the future. It, it is a conversation because by the time we post this, we'll have a website. Actually, we have a website. I just haven't like completely put it together yet. And there's going to be a comment section and we could have conversations and we're going to have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And so be great. I'd love to hear from all of you, every single one. Yeah. Because every time you guys comment and, we we have a conversation that will generate what we probably will talk about on the next episode. And and look, my my thing is, I know we get kind of silly sometimes. I know we kind of go off base sometimes. But the real conversation I feel is with you. And I feel like you know the questions you give us and maybe the topics and statements that you guys make um, definitely prompt for further conversation that we definitely would love to have with you offline. Yeah, and then you could buy your merchandise. Exactly. <laughs> and show all your friends how cool you are. Uh, the only reason I brought that up is because we were kind of joking on Facebook uh, because I, I started a red bubble for my own personal stuff. But the thir- the first thing I put up was the logo for a podcast. And I, and I, and I said, the, the only thing real about the podcast is the merchandise at this point. <laughs> Because we've been recording, but I haven't. We're actually putting a bunch of them on tape, so to speak, before sure. I produce them and start releasing them. Because we want to release them on an even schedule. And so we want a bunch of them already in the can, if you put it that way. So that if there's a hiccup in, in the future, we'll still have one to put out. Because mm-hmm. we want to do this at least once a week. Yeah. And so... Any closing thoughts? Everything is magic. Time is magic. Uh, (laughs) This beer is magic. This microphone is magic. You are magic, Jerry. And I appreciate the time and conversations we have. It really is magic. I mean, 
just think about it. Who was it? I forget which comedian brought this up, but he was, he has this routine where he's talking about people who complain in airlines <laughs> about like not being comfortable or something. And he's like, are you insane? You're sitting in a flying seat in the sky. You're like a God. You're like a God. You're traveling at like hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour through through air you're, that's too thin for you to breathe, and you're complaining because your seat's a little tight. <laughs> we live in this amazing world right now. We really do. I mean, pretty soon we're going to have self-driving cars, mm-hmm. and, which, by the way, if a car is self-driving, it has to be conscious. It has to Man. be conscious of its surroundings or it wouldn't be able to operate. They're real to me. They're, that's acceptably real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, maybe we should uh, close it before we dig ourselves too big of a hole. So, until next time, this is Jerry. And this is Joe. And See this is later. acceptably real. <laughs>